Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Comic Book Hero Live, September 5th edition. Listen, to those of you who tried to join last week and had a hard time, <laughs> my apologies. Everything went haywire. Everything went wrong. Stream did not happen. To those of you that hung around and were hoping to, to hear me chats about some comics and whatnot, um, <laughs> thank you for your support. Thank you for returning. Not knowing. What a gamble. What a risk to take in your life that you could show up and be like, listen, I don't know if the stream's going to happen. I'm still going to commit some time to seeing if this individual actually shows up. How many YouTube channels, how many how many presences in the live stream game make you think there's a there's like a 10% chance this dude just can't figure out how to stream today? How many how many channels that you support and listen to have that problem? Am I alone? Am I alone in this issue? It's very possible. Uh, listen, it's Fall of X. It's the Fall of X. Communication lines are down. It's a challenging time right now for those sympathetic to mutants. I think um, in my case, I had a sponsorship pulled. I mean, Big Water pulled the plug on supporting my streams. Uh, they cut out functional software. I'll tell you what, if I have another issue with XSplit, which is what I use to get the microphone and the video onto YouTube, we're done. That's it. I'm done. I'm going to have to switch. It seems like everyone else uses something else. Maybe there's a good reason for that. <laughs> but like, I, I hate this stuff. I hate setting it up. I hate the tech side of wanting to talk about or write about comics. That's the thing I enjoy the least. Um, and you're like, yeah, we've been to comicbookherald.com. We can tell. <laughs> so it hasn't been updated in like 10 years. Uh, but anyway, I appreciate all of you who came back. We're going to talk about some comics today. We're going to talk about things going on. There's a lot going on, frankly. I'm feeling pretty looped in. I'm feeling pretty in the mix. Like, I've got a lot to talk about this week, and obviously we've got weeks of comics to catch up on, given the issues that I had last week. I mean, we could start with a poll. Just like, do you prefer when I try to stream but can't, or show up and actually do a stream? What's your preference? Let's just do a fan poll and if it's the former, listen, I can make that happen. I can definitely make that happen. But yeah, no, Big Water did pull the plug. Um, so again, today I'm in a medium crystal light. That's right. We got a new sponsor today. It's a medium crystal light. I don't know that I actually love when I, I said I was I said I was drinking a crystal light on a previous stream. And somebody commented and was like, you know, that stuff will kill you. Kind of kind of comment. And I don't know, man. Like I listen, I don't, I don't know a lot about this diet stuff. But uh, I'll tell you what happened is after I had a kidney stone last year, which knocked me on my butt. It's very, it's a very nice butt. Let's let's just be, let's call a spade a spade. Um, but it knocked me on my butt, and one of the doctors, like in passing, was like, "You should drink more Crystal Light for kidney stones." So I'm like, "Listen, on the off chance that this doctor's like." unofficial recommendation can prevent or or mitigate kidney stones <laughs> i will i will drink some occasionally it's tasty i like it uh although i do feel weird calling them a sponsor because they're an actual business <laughs> that i really don't care if you support or not i'm seeing here failed streams hit different 
I'm seeing love the stream when you showed up. We got we have multiple votes for failed streams. I actually think we're tied right now. Um, so keep those votes coming. What's more fun, a failed stream or one that actually happens? Let's see, Banksy confirms here that stuff will kill you. All right, I mean, yeah, like that said, as the kids say, YOLO. You only, you only liquid once like this. It tastes good. It's raspberry lemonade. All right, let's talk about some real comics. Get in your questions, get in your thoughts uh, here, and we'll chat. Now, I put this in the, in the title of the video. It wasn't necessarily going to be the first thing or like even a main thing I want to talk about. But here's another poll question. A lot of votes for failed stream. We might have to bring these back. Uh, here's another question. Who's buying God's number one? Okay, who's buying Marvel's God's number one? Uh, the reason I ask this is new Jonathan Hickman written book. It's going to have Hickman writing, Valerio Shidi on art. It is a confirmed eight-issue maxi-series. The first issue is 60 pages of content. Okay, talk about exactly what that means. Ten bucks. Ten bucks for that first issue. Ultimate Invasion had a similar Hickman tax. We're getting taxed now. My theory here is Marvel underestimated the power of Hickman on X-Men. I remember at the time there were a lot of stories about retailers having a hard time getting enough copies to meet the demand of the sensation that was House of X and Powers of Ten, right? I think Marvel underestimated how big that was going to be, and now they're slapping a Hickman tax on any book that he writes. Now, you can, and, and many have, made the case that, well, God's number one is 60 pages of story, which is approximately three issues for 10 bucks at the going rate of most Marvel comics these days, which is increasingly $4.99 a pop. That's actually a decent value. My thinking on it is I've bought every Jonathan Hickman written comic since 2013. Got them all here in a long box. Really enjoy the experience. I have a standing order at my comic shop. Hey, if, if Hickman writes it, I'd like a copy of that, please. Okay? Um, I think he's the only author I'd do that with. For a while, I said that about Black Hammer Universe stuff. I was like, if it's Black Hammer Universe, I want it. Um, you know, obviously, I've been, you know, I've been collecting Saga for a decade. Uh, you know, there's some stuff like that where I have, like, a standing order, which is all, like, <laughs> there, there's no, like, documentation of any of this. Like, my local comic shop is so backwards and behind the times. This is all, like, back of the napkin dealing. But anyway, that's besides the point. This is the first time in that entire experience where I was like, I actually don't know if I want to spend 10 bucks on this issue. Part of the problem is collecting comics doesn't make sense. Financially, fiscally, collecting comics is an insane thing to do. Print, I'm talking going to a comic shop, buying a print comic book makes no sense. It doesn't. It is so much more cost effective to stream digitally on Marvel Unlimited, DC Universe, whatever, Hoopla, Libby. So many options now, okay, on the manga side. The Viz app is like, they pay you. They give you $2 a month, and they're like, read all of One Piece. And I'm still not doing it because One Piece is so intimidating. But that's not the point. The point is going to a comic shop and collecting print comic books is irrational behavior. And I do it every week. And many of you do too. It's a fun thing. It's a collecting game. 
right? We know that. We know that there's value and kind of joy in the physical product and collecting, but it's more like buying music on vinyl than it is like an actual sensible way to consume story. And I think the publishers, especially right now, are more and more leaning into, well, this is a collector's market thing anyway. It's not really about getting these stories in people's hands. These stories are going to get in people's hands through pirating, through digital streaming, right? Through other ways. And then eventually through a trade collection that maybe will actually sell well, you know? But it's like, Pirating is at a point with comics where it is as easy as a Google search. There are no barriers. I talk about this all the time. You don't even have to take up, like, the risk of downloading something. <laughs> it is preposterously easy. Okay? Um, and I, I think as a result, comics, you know, Marvel, DC especially, are kind of recognizing, like, well, who's actually going to a shop to buy a comic then? It's an obsessive aging crowd and demographic that wants to collect these things. So let's give them 75 variant covers and make everything a collected issue and let's tax the hell out of a Hickman book that we think people are going to want. Okay? That's what's happening. And so you get a $10 God's number one. It is the least inviting, <laughs> you know, price point you can put on a book that doesn't have kind of connective tissue or obvious connective tissue to known Marvel, Marvel properties. And like, listen, let's put this out there. I think God's is going to be great. I think it's going to rule. It's going to be, I think, the closest thing to probably Hickman's creator-owned works that he can do at Marvel. I think if you liked the S.H.I.E.L.D. miniseries that he did at Marvel, certainly it has that energy and that sensibility, but it's also, I mean, in pitching, it's got vibes of Black Monday murders, it's got vibes of East to West, right? If you've enjoyed this uh, creator in the past, you know, this is him taking all that, taking the sci-fi data pages of Powers of Ten, which I'm flipping obsessed with, and tackling the Cosmic Pantheon. I, You know, I, I tweeted this the other day, but it's like, Marvel keeps saying, oh, he's transforming the Cosmic Pantheon, which means something to comic obsessives, but it's also like, you know what else you could say? You could say Hickman stepping in is the head of Marvel Cosmic. That's what God's is. Marvel Cosmic needs a head. For a minute, it seemed like it was going to be Donny Cates. For a minute, it seemed like it was going to be Al Ewing. Still should be Al Ewing, but that hasn't really happened. Hickman is stepping in as the head of Marvel Cosmic. What's that going to mean for these properties that are amazing, that have so much potential, all these Jim Starling creations, Eternity, Infinity, um, Living Tribunal, The Inbetweener, all of these incredible creations, uh, what's it going to mean for them? I think God's is going to rule. Okay? I really do. I think it's going to be a fantastic comic book saying, come check out all the stuff that you don't quite understand for 10 bucks for the first issue. I, I, mentally, I think they should be taking the exact opposite approach. Right? I think you should be saying, come on in. We, we are so confident in this product that we are going to give you a ridiculous deal. 60 pages, $3.99. You're going to love God so much. We're that confident. We're going to take a hit on the first issue, and you're going to be back because this is going to rule. Obviously, that's not what the business is doing. <laughs> okay? And I think 10 bucks for a first issue, that is not 
super obviously oversized. You know, I'm telling you it's 60 pages. How many of you didn't even know that? Right? That's a problem. Uh, I think that's really going to spook people. I think that's really going to spook people. Christoph says, what do you get for 10 bucks nowadays anyway? Right? Listen, I can get a burrito at Chipotle. Okay? I could get a Jimmy John sandwich. I could get two comic books. <laughs> right? I can get two back issues of, uh, I, I, I fill in my collection of, what am I trying to fill in? Rom Space Night. Maybe, maybe not. It depends how deep in the collection we are. Right? You know what I mean, though? Like, it's, that is, it is off-putting just mentally, emotionally. You can, listen, you can hit me with all the logic you want. That's three issues for the price of one. Fine. Emotionally, that $10 is going to scare off people. And I've been seeing, on Twitter especially, a lot of comic shops, Big Bang Comics in Ireland, I think kind of kicked off a lot of this. And they're interesting. They come and talk with uh, David Harper and Sketched a bunch. I've, I've heard them talk. I like their, they're thinking on retail and all that. But, um, They've come in and said, we're ordering gods at, I don't remember exactly, but like a tenth of what we ordered House of X and Powers of Ten. You know? Like, retailers are not feeling that this is going to be a hit. At least the handful I've seen. Okay? And I think Marvel is, they, they missed, they underestimated what House and Powers were going to be. Now they're overestimating <laughs> how popular a thing that people people don't know what this is. And that, like, that's part of Hickman's game, right? Clearly a creator who does not like marketing. I think I read in a CBR interview he did recently, or the artist for, the, the corpse of the artist formerly known as CBR, um, that you know he was like, we, I didn't have to do anything marketable. I wasn't pushed into that editorial. I just got to do my own thing, which for us nerds who are obsessed with the work means, oh, good, it's going to be a better version of what we want, but it also shows there's nothing marketable about this. <laughs> they got the poor marketing folks out there sending out these data pages saying, meet Dimitri. <laughs> like, what? Meet Dimitri? Tell me how many planets Galactus is going to eat. Okay? Throw, show me a data page that says, you know, uh, Dominion versus Galactus incoming in God's number five. Speak the language of the comics fan. Meet Dimitri. There's no comics fan looking at that going, oh, man, I can't wait to meet Dimitri. It's not happening, okay? Once we read the book, that'll mean something. We'll get to know these characters, and they'll be Hickman's finest work or not, right? We'll make that determination, but that's not doing anything. So, I mean, yeah, I'm nervous, I'm nervous about this price point on a first issue for a book that is not inherently like, doesn't have an obvious draw, okay? This is not Hickman on Spider-Man. I mean, this isn't even Ultimate Invasion. Ultimate Invasion, you know, has kind of an obvious hook, right, of the return of the Ultimate Universe. It's going to build into this new Ultimate Universe and what's that going to look like. People have a lot of nostalgia and familiarity with that. Gods is a totally new thing. And Marvel should, and, and they should foster that. It's great that they're giving Hickman and, and I think it's Skeety. I've gotten this wrong before. Um, Valerio Skeety, I want to say, uh, that they're giving them the space to make their own book. But I am very nervous that the lesson is going to be, well, retailers way underordered this. Um, the price point scared people off, and we shouldn't take chances on new ideas and new characters because they won't sell as much, right? Can't you just see that coming? Can't you just see this self-fulfilling prophecy 
of like, well, we scared everyone off, but the lesson learned is mm, we shouldn't really take chances on new characters and new ideas. Meanwhile, we're all going to be sitting here bereft of, of clothing and food because we spent all our money on these issues. But we're going to be sitting here going, these eight issues are some of the best Marvel comics I've ever read. Can't you just see that coming? I can. I, I mean, listen, I hope to be wrong. I, I do. I hope to be wrong. And I hope that the first issue is so knockout stunning that people come running and it's another house and power situation. I do. I hope that. I want that. Why would I not want that, right? Like, you you want the things that you're excited about to be good. And also, I mean, listen, the house the house and powers, it's not, it's not going to have X-Men fever, okay? Like, that is, there are only so many franchises that can do that. What are the franchises that can generate X-Men fever? Spider-Man, Batman, Star Wars? I don't know. What else? There's all the things I think about. <laughs> there are probably other things in the world. But, like, there aren't that many. Okay, Gods isn't going to get there. It doesn't need to. But can it get to Guardians of the Galaxy fever levels? You know, maybe. That would be great. That's a good thing for the community. That's a good thing for the comic industry right now. Um, I want to see... I want to see communal celebration of good comics. That is that is valued. That is fantastic. Those are the times I most enjoy being a good comics fan. Or <laughs> a good comics fan. Being a comics fan. Okay? I want to see that happen again with Gods. That $10 price point makes me think that's probably not going to happen. Okay? It does not feel like that is what they're trying to generate. And listen, I get it. Marvel's a business. They want to sell comics. They want to make money. They want their profit margins to be enormous. I understand that. Hickman said to them, I want to do a 60-page first issue. They said, okay, we'll, we'll go along with the wishes of this valued creator. That is a good thing. It is. I mean, you know, part of, part of it, too, is just like, if you called God's number one, you know, the, the prologue graphic novel, you said, oh, the first prologue, it's going to kick off with a prologue graphic novel. It's going to be $9.99, like a saga trade, circa 2014 or whatever, right? And you framed it that way, probably nobody's talking about this. They're talking about being an interesting approach, a new thing for Marvel. They're not talking about a $10 first issue. You know, I think that would work. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't. Okay. But yeah, I mean, the main question here was who's, who's doing this? Who's in? Who's like, listen, I don't care about the money. I don't need to pay my rent. All I want is this comic. Cousin Marcus says, Hickman is an auto poll. I'd probably pay $20 an issue. Real talk. I appreciate that. You know, I do actually think, like, so Black Monday Murders for Image, those were oversized issues. And those were uh, expensive at times, right? Because they were more valued. I think there was, there was part of it where it was like, it was obvious I was paying for more in the moment. And that being a creator-owned book, via image, I had more of a sense of patronage. I had more of a sense of, I am putting money directly in Hickman and Tom Coker's pockets for the production of this fantastic work. With Marvel, you don't really get that the same way, right? I don't know what everyone's cut is. I know there's a lot of rumblings that they're not, Marvel's not paying artists especially good rates right now, you know? So it is, it's that thing of like, how much money am I putting in Bob Iger's pocket? versus the actual creators you know um i think on a creator-owned book i'm kind of i'm kind of on the same page 
you know, a la like the Hickman led three, three world, three moon Substack, where I'm like, I will just treat this like a Patreon and put money in the pot for work that I have loved and creators I have enjoyed. But Marvel, I, I don't have the same ties to it. And it, it constantly creates this very strange dynamic where you can tell comics is a difficult industry, right? You can tell the publication of books of these floppy magazines that contain 20 pages of story, that that is a very difficult razor's edge business that these companies walk. You know, I've talked about this before, but you see Steve Orlando being like, I don't know how long Scarlet Witch can go. It has to sell well enough for Marvel to continue justifying it. You know, and you see Tom Brevoort talking about in his newsletter saying, well, Gods will be an ongoing series if readers are supporting it to a degree where we can justify it being an ongoing series. They're saying that about a Jonathan Hickman-led project. If you don't have the confidence and the, the, the business sort of strategy to invest in a Hickman-led project to a ninth issue? When do you ever have that confidence? Then it is only tied to legacy character, right? Then it's just like, well, Spider-Man. We have a Spider-Man book always. Task for, eh, yeah, mostly. Unless we're fighting with another media company, right? And then it's just like, the, the quality of the work has nothing to do with it. Your belief in this being something special has not, like, like have some backbone. You know, this applies to Marvel and DC. It's like, have the vision and the creative confidence to support these things. Know that word of mouth will build when something is good later on streaming, and then it can sell more in the trades. Like, the idea that these things are floppies, like, it's so short-sighted, you know? It's like the only game that matters is selling a boatload of floppies. And beyond that, who cares? It's like, beyond that is, is all that matters. The floppies are just for the retailers and the obsessive collectors. Beyond that is where you find the real audience, you know? And certainly for the... Rick Reminder had a, a Instagram post or something I saw recently, somebody sharing and, well, Reminder shared it. And, you know, it was basically like, it's so short-sighted to talk about first-issue sales. Because where creators can actually thrive and live is in the long tail. It's in having a complete work. It's in having a package of collected works that will sell forever, that are evergreen. Right? I would like to see these publishers acknowledge that. Have more confidence in things. Saying you've got Jonathan Hickman on a book, an idea he's super excited about, he's jazzed about, that he talks about as the thing he was going to do alongside House and Powers, is that, you know, the main thing he wanted to do, and you're like, we'll see past issue eight. I wish we could if only the fans would support us. Listen, I know you got to sell these things to make money, but come on. Support yourself. You're owned by Disney. <laughs> come on. Anyway. Open Mike Eagle says, I'm definitely buying it. I am too. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I am too. It was the first time where I was like, oh, I don't know. But within a day, I knew. I'm definitely going to buy this thing. Uh, I think it comes out at the end of October. Speaking of things you should buy, 
Boom Mike Eagle. Do well, I'm out right now. Check it out. Check it out. Alfonso says, I wonder how much of that $10 does Hickman get? I don't know. I have no idea. I imagine he's reasonably compensated by Marvel. He's been around the block. To come back, imagine his contract isn't half bad. Uh, let's see. Okay. <coughs> I'm seeing one nope, wait for trade and <coughs> reviews. And then two, it's like, it's like, you know, how much is a trade going to be? <laughs> you know? It's like a $50 Collect edition? Soft cover? Oh my Google also says I only buy digital on Comixology Weekly. Oh, that's now that is another subject matter entirely. Where it's like you go because they're the same price. You got the physical copy for 10 bucks, then you got the digital copy for 10 bucks. That's such a bad deal. <laughs> that's such a bad deal. But I, I do feel it as well. I did the same thing with Ultimate Invasion. I spent six bucks on Ultimate Invasion number three digitally. And then at the end of it, I was just like, oh man. I just had immediate buyer's remorse. And, like, I liked some stuff in there. Okay. I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of not feeling Ultimate Invasion that much right now, honestly. I guess we didn't talk about it last week because I couldn't stream. But, uh, yeah, like, oh, man. Digital being the same price as physical is preposterous. But that's a whole thing. That's a whole thing. Okay. Let's take a break. Our sponsor today is Medium Water. we got Raspberry Lemonade. Getting your questions, getting your thoughts. We're going to talk about some comics. Christoph says, do we know if Gods is the start of a new era like Hoxpox, or is it a contained story? All we know so far is it's eight issues of a contained story by Jonathan Hickman and Blarius Key. From there, Tom Brevoort says, if it's doing well, we'd like to continue it as an ongoing. So let's, let's just take that in the most generous possible terms. Even if you accept, like, oh, they, they hope to do an issue nine. Does that mean Hickman and Skeety are staying on the book? Or somebody else coming in at that point? That part is still totally up in the air, I would say. Um, I have no idea if Hickman is pot committed past an eighth issue. I, would, I mean, I would just guess not. I mean, my, my continual assessment of where the creator's at and kind of what they've told us in interviews, especially when they left X-Men, is they're not here to do long runs anymore. That that cat's kind of out of the back. Um, which reminds me, you know, around the time of this God's conversation, uh, Graham McGillan over at Popverse also did a really good interview with Hickman. And one of the big things that came out there was, and also just like shouts to Graham where it's like he had 10 minutes and he knocked out breaking news, <laughs> like like some of the most interesting things Hickman said in like three years, you know, like in 10 minutes. That's, that's magician stuff. Um, but anyway, one of the things he said was Hickman is now working on a book he never thought he'd work on. And he's super excited about it. And he found a way in. And obviously every fan immediately jumps to Spider-Man. <laughs> right? Um, how could you not? How could you not? Because that's got to be the book that every Marvel creator looks at and goes, not everyone, but like if you're a certain size and you kind of, if you've already had some success, I think in some ways too, and you look at Spider-Man and you just look at like what's happened there and how fans are, <laughs> and what happens to those creators. Like, the pressure of that, the limitations of that, it's a very, very, it would make me very nervous accepting that gig, right? Certainly, um, you know, with, with great power comes great angry fandom. Uh, and look at what's happening with, like, Chip Zdarsky and Batman, like, right now. <laughs> like, people are turning on, on Zdarsky, who has 
a really good resume. You know, it's like you're writing Spider-Man, you're writing Batman. People come for you. Um, and anyway, I think that's the reason people would say, like, I never thought I'd do it. Uh, but then maybe that's the one Hickman's thinking about doing. I think fans would be excited about that. I mean, it, it does raise the question. It's like, well, who else could that be? You know, um, there's not a ton of things Hickman's never done. And I'm, I, I mean, I'm literally like Captain America, you know, like a solo title, I guess I could see. Um, trying to think what else it could even possibly be. Something he thought he'd never do that now he's excited to take on. I'm going to throw out Spider-Man, Cap, Black Panther, and yeah. I mean, Black Panther would be, that'd be a, a weird one, right? Jonathan Hickman's Black Panther. You know, I feel like that would be a surprise. Um, let's see, question here. Where was this interview? A uh, Popverse. So uh, it's uh, thepopverse.com. One of the best comics websites out right now. It's it's run by the former, like, basically, like, showrunner, the former editor of Newsarama before they got bought by uh, whatever gaming website they got bought by and kind of decimated the site. But Chris Aron, he has an awesome job. I've written for there, which clearly speaks to the quality <laughs> of the material. Uh, they got a, a managing editor, Tiffany Babb, who's a co-manager with um, – co-editor with Hassan Oates Main Elloway on panel by panel, just like all-star contributions all around the board. Uh, but anyway, the, the interview itself, I think, is behind their paywall. I think it's, like, members only. But they've run a bunch of, um, whatchamacallit, like, like, like pullouts of, like, kind of all the, the key stuff in there as news stories. So, well worth checking out. Uh, ooh. Ooh. Bosco points out Hickman hasn't done Daredevil. That's a good one. That's a good one. That... That would make the most sense, actually, compared to Spider-Man, because Daredevil is the book that you go on and you showcase what you can do. That also does not feel like a Hickman book, right? Although that the timing of that certainly feels weird, where he's like, I'm working on it now, and then you got Solid and Ahmed just took over the book post-Sadarsky, you know? So that would feel very, like, quarterback controversy kind of thing. All right. Good questions, good thoughts. Getting your thoughts and comments here on the stream. I'm going to talk about some books that came out. We're going to talk about what is happening. Miss Marvel's happening. Oh, where should we start? Should we start with last week or this week? We're going to start with this week. Immortal X-Men number 15. Karen Gillen's throwing heat. Karen Gillen's throwing fastballs. And I love it. Uh, turns out... Here's what we learned today in Mortal Kombat number 15. The mutants going through the Krakoan gates in the Hellfire Gala and ending up in a mystery desert and Charlie Ballgame thinking they're all dead. Turns out this was not part of the Orcus plot. I think we kind of knew this, but we maybe didn't have confirmation. Okay? Orcus didn't know that was going to happen either. They thought they were sending them to Mars. We get confirmation of that here in Mortal Kombat number 15. Karen Gillan once again reiterates... Jesus was a mutant. <laughs> he has done this multiple times, or at least Exodus's belief that Jesus was a mutant. There's a line in here, one mutant fed 5,000 two millennia ago. We're talking about Jesus again <laughs> as a mutant. Um, I feel like if certain outlets get wind of this, it could make waves. 
with all the wrong people. Uh, nonetheless, I kind of appreciate this running gag that Exodus is adamant. Jesus was a mutant. We also learned here four of the five members of the five. So only hope is, is you know, with the, the gang, the Krakoan diaspora here, uh, they're otherwise missing. So we're missing four of the five. They should be there. Where are those characters? Okay, that's interesting. We also have the interesting turn here that Mother Righteous is found in this desert landscape. She also comes out as a mutant, which I don't think was something we definitely knew. Uh, she was being hunted by a weird amount of Logans. Like there are these weird Wolverine clones hunting her. Exodus blows them up. Uh, she then brings the exiled mutants who are wandering through the desert a la, you know, Moses and and the Jewish people in the chapter Exodus. Um, they're, you know, barely scraping by. Exodus is pulling in water vapor. They don't know how long they can go. And then Mother Righteous comes in to save the day, bringing them to the Atlantic Krakoa. Uh, her story is obviously a little fudged here because she, we saw her in the Hellfire Gala, do some sort of magic to pull in the Atlantic Krakoa herself. So she is not actually just lost here, a la um, the rest of mutant kind. You know, she is she is playing a game. She is definitely playing a game. What exactly that is still remains to be seen. Really cool moment here that I was surprised how into it I was. And it was Celine and Shaw are trying to take over Krakoa, Shaw especially, in the interest of making money off of the deserted island. Professor X is still protecting it and wiping out Orcus goons. Professor X here shows up. There's an Orcus crew using antipsionics, so he can't just spook him with the big bad monsters like he's been doing in the past. And he basically just says, very well, and beats these MFers to death. This had me hooting and hollering. Okay, Professor X never, almost never gets like John Wick action moments. Now, we don't actually see it take place. It's just a cut from him saying, let's go to the torn bodies of the Orcus soldiers. But like, listen, I like to pretend I'm all highfalutin and analytical and look for themes and metaphors and meaning in my work. This is just good old-fashioned diehard action. I loved it. I loved this scene so much. Absolutely. Like, super into this era of Professor X. Just the beaten, bearded, murderous Professor X. Let's do this. I'm here for it. Uh, we also learned her that Celine wants to bring back the externals, which is a nice callback. Uh, Apocalypse sacrificed all of the other externals in his efforts to reach... His lost family in Ten of Swords. Celine is now making efforts to bring them back and renew that gate. What that would mean for travel to Otherworld and to Apocalypse and all that will remain to be seen. And then we get a big WTF moment. The final page of Immortal X-Men number 15. This is the biggest spoiler of the bunch, definitely. Um, a scene of Apocalypse, Logan, and a Jean Grey in Chains awaiting mutant kind. What is happening here with these clone mutants and the visages of, you know, known and celebrated mutants? Now, Jean Grey, we know to be dead. 
or as dead as Jean Grey gets. Apocalypse, we know to be in Amenth, or at least he was. He's making plans, as of the latest Al Ewing X-Men Red stuff. Logan, do we actually know where Logan is post-Fall of X? We saw him killing Orcus goons, but I'm not sure we've seen him in anything else since. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so the, uh, these are not the real Apocalypse, Logan, and Gene, right? I, th- I think we can pretty safely assume that, which raises the question, who the hell are they? Now, the theory I like the most is there are variants from across the multiverse. We have finally traveled the multiverse. Exodus and the gang are going to meet them, and they are going to learn about mutants of the multiverse. Um, other than that, I have no idea. They're just magical projections on the astral plane from Mother Righteous. What exactly is that meant to be? It's an interesting teaser. Interesting teaser. Let's see, we're getting a couple people here in the comments saying, Logan is becoming a demon with Ghost Rider. Like, really? (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why is that happening? Um, okay. Okay, he's, he's, that's happening in the pages of that Ghost Rider crossover. Tell me more here in the comments. Tell me the good details that I should be paying attention to uh, beyond hanging out with Ghost Rider. <laughs> uh, is there more to it? Let's see, Banksy says there's no reason that wouldn't be the real Apocalypse. Uh, well, the the if it was just Apocalypse, I'd say, oh, they're an Ameth with Apocalypse. But it being Apocalypse with a Logan clone and a Gene in chains kind of makes me throw that idea out. So I'm curious why you say there's no reason it wouldn't be the real Apocalypse. I feel like that that rules things out. Um, I'm into the idea of this being the real Apocalypse, for the record. I mean, listen, Big Daddy A is ready and waiting, okay? He's ready, uh, but I... I don't think it's actually going to be the real apocalypse. I hope it is, but I, I don't know. The gene stuff makes me think, no, it's probably not them. <clears throat> what else we got? X-Men number 26 came out today. Jerry Duggan is, is having a good time with the fall of X. Like, is definitely one of the most vital books. You know, it is definitely one that is most committed to the mutant metaphor of this oppressed people and ties to oppressed peoples in the real world. You know, heavy-handed at times, certainly, but it's it's committed. And I think sometimes more effective than others, but, like, it's doing it. Wilson Fisk, working with Mutant Kind because he wants to find Typhoid Mary, his wife, and becoming the white king of the Hellfire Club. Pretty good Marvel stuff. That's some good old Marvel comics. Tony Stark is now the black king. And uh, after all of the ways Fei Long has kind of stolen his work and put it in Sentinels and all that, um, and he's plotting in secret with Emma Frost. The spoiler here in X-Men number 26, the Tony Stark proposal to Emma Frost made me laugh. (laughs) It was genuinely very funny. I think there has been far too much fan consternation about you know, what Marvel has hyped up as the wedding of Tony Stark and Emma Frost. I think, you know, essentially nobody wants this. I'd be curious, like, listen, another poll. Does anyone want this? Like, are there people listening who are like, no, I'm really into the idea of Tony and Emma being 
a husband and wife. <laughs> like, tell me. Like, maybe there are. Maybe there are a lot of people who are like, oh, it sounds great. Uh, my sense of this is nobody really wants this to happen. Um, but the way the proposal happened is actually very funny. It is. It's good. Emma is in the process of kneeing Tony in the groin because she's pissed at him. Fei Long walks in. Apparently, he can just carouse about the Hellfire Club and show up even though Tony's there. And uh, he's like, what is this? Are you proposing? As a pu- And Tony goes with it. He rolls with it. Instead of just, you know, saying like, no, I fell. <laughs> or any other myriad options. Emma's wearing a quote-unquote disguise. Uh, she's kind of dressing up like uh, like Moira. Pre-evil cyborg version. Uh, but anyway. Anyway. Um, making it a gag. Making it all kind of a series of accidents. I think is kind of the best way to approach it. I thought it was going to be more of like a Tony and Emma have to get married in order to get, you know, Emma's assets to Tony. But I think kind of the way Duggan has structured the fall of X, actually neither of them have assets. <clears throat> like Orcus has gotten Emma's assets frozen. Tony's basically, you know, he's lost his business again for the, you know, 24th time. So uh, I actually think neither of them really have money. So I don't think they necessarily have like a marriage that would benefit them both in that way. Anyway, I'm seeing here in the comments, ugh, no, nope. <laughs> For are we in favor of Tony and Emma getting married? Yeah, so it's like if you're going to do this thing and you're going to kind of tease it out and everyone's kind of annoyed about it, kind of pulling the rug out from everyone, I actually do think is a good way to do it. Right? This, like, the, To me, this isn't the same thing as the much ballyhooed Batman and Catwoman wedding. That when during the Tom King era of Batman, where DC set it up and marketed it as, yeah, they're getting married. It's happened in the 50th issue. And then Catwoman, you know, jilted Bruce. Like they ran, what did they do? They ran wedding nuptials in the flipping New York Times or something. I don't know if they're called nuptials. What is, what is a nuptial? Does anyone know? Probably not. There's probably no way to confirm. Um, but they, they ran something in the New York Times for the wedding, and then the issue itself was like, oh, nope, not like that's that's kind of like a nasty pulling the rug out from other, under you kind of way to go about it. I actually think this one works because everyone's against it to begin with, you know, so I'm in favor. I'm in favor of the way that shook out. Um, okay, what other comics do we want to talk about? Let's see, last week we had Ultimate Invasion number three. We had we had Miss Marvel, the new mutant. Listen, it's already getting late. I could just jump to what's good. What's good in the world. Uh, new segment we're going to start doing here on CBH live streams after I talk about the comments or the comics. I'm doing a segment called What's Good. We're going to carve out at least 15 minutes for just comics I am digging because, you know, I focus on the stuff that I think folks will want to talk about. I think often that is going to lead to what I hope to view as criticism but what often gets interpreted as negativity. It's certainly a balance that I try to thread very carefully. I think there are times where I fail, um, and that's something I think about a lot. I think especially during this kind of fallow period where I'm less into stuff, it can probably come across to a lot of folks like I'm I'm just being negative all the time, and that's definitely not my intent. You know, my like like I think, you know, a lot of folks... I don't know. I, I go back and forth on this because I think a lot of folks have a hard time understanding that, like, you can love something and be critical of it. And that the, you know, there is an art to criticism. 
that is not the same thing as as hate and rage and negativity, of which YouTube has far too much. Okay? Um, and listen, I fail at that sometimes. I know I do. Uh, but I try to walk that line. And it's a difficult thing. So one thing I want to make sure that I do is I think a lot of times I'm like, well, I love comics and there's all these good ones I'm reading, but I'm not talking about those because we're talking about these other things that I think are more popular. Screw that. <laughs> Forget that. We'll still try to talk about the things, but like I always want to carve out a little time at the end of these things to just say, here's what's awesome, here's what I'm loving about comics, here's why, and have a conversation that way. I mean, I'm, I'm literally right now, I don't know how much to go into this, um, the next newsletter I'm writing, if you want to see what I'm writing, go to comicbookherald.com, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, the next one I'm writing is about how all this Mark Miller drama that happened over the past couple weeks. And, you know, essentially what happened was Mark Miller went on uh, a few live streams and said, you know, the comics industry, Marvel and DC are the worst they've they've been, and here's my idea for saving comics. And that got attention. It is interesting podcast fodder. You know, it's a podcast fodder. It is an interesting conversation, I think, to have about, oh, are his ideas good? Um, you know, do they hold any merit? It, it actually generated some pretty interesting conversation around, like, what are the best image sellers? And folks talked about it, but what, what everyone kind of ignored in the conversation that I read, I saw Heidi McDonald cover it very well at The Beat. I saw David Harper cover it very well on Sketched. I saw Russ Berlingame cover it very well on comicbook.com. But what everyone ignored <laughs> was the context and where Mark Miller was sharing his ideas. He was sharing his ideas on three to four hate channels here on YouTube, okay, on channels that are wholly dedicated to anger, to rage and grief and right-wing outrage, okay? And that really bothered me. <laughs> I, I should not have been surprised. Mark Miller is hardly a character who anyone would call, you know, the most sensitive, <laughs> right, has built a career on shocks for the sake of shocks, certainly in a lot of books. Some of like the worst, cringiest content I've ever read, right, in comic books. I There's plenty of books that I've enjoyed as well. That's not really the point. The point was I see, it was like, well, where is he sharing these ideas? And it's like, why is he, why is he wasting his time on these channels that are all dedicated to fomenting the exact same rage and anger and, and grievance politics. And I think, you know, I think the answer is, is pretty obvious. It's, it's that they have audiences and that stuff sells and the YouTube algorithm boosts that. And he's trying to move comics and he's trying to promote his stuff. You know, from that perspective, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's obvious. It just bothers me, <laughs> right? It just bothers And it, the other piece of it too is like, well, it's YouTube and what else is he going to do? It's like, there are so many other channels that don't trade explicitly and exclusively in hate. And I'm not talking about myself. I'm a little guy. I'm talking about Comics Explained, Comic Tropes, Owen Like Comics, Blurred Without Fear, Panels to Pixels, on down the line. On down the line. There are plenty of other channels with massive, even bigger audiences that do not trade exclusively in rage bait. Okay? And Miller's out here talking to Thinking Critical, 
talking to heel babyface something and talking to, to critical drinking. Okay. Channels I am not familiar with, which have audiences, which maybe many of you are, are familiar with. And it's like, that's all he's talking to? Why? Why, why is he only giving them a platform? You know what I mean? Because it is. It validates a certain kind of attitude and a certain kind of hateful negativity in comics. And if you think, if you think you're like, well, these, uh, you know, the, these channels are, are big and they have audiences and I like them and they're entertaining, I, I bet they are. I bet there's entertainment value there. But I'm telling you, all you have to do is look at their latest videos. <laughs> they're all playing the exact same playbook the exact same way with the exact same targets. Okay? They are all right now targeting Ahsoka. They're targeting comics dying. They're co targeting um, the Marvels. You know, anything that is vaguely progressive, that, that stars minorities or queer people or women, and they repeat these targets, rinse, wash, and repeat these cycles over and over and over ad nauseum. I was recently listening to an episode of WTF with Mark Marin, which I hadn't listened to in like a decade. And then this year I got back into a few episodes. And this was the episode with um, the, the author of The United States of Conspiracy. And it was kind of a chaotic conversation, but the intro was really interesting. Marin shares his own dissent into conspiracy theory, and he kind of describes it as like a, a literal break with reality, kind of cocaine-induced thing. And uh, one thing he says in there is the radicalization of individuals happens through a drumbeat of repetition. And I think that's what a lot of comics media does, especially on YouTube. It happens other places too, right? But there's a radicalization of, well, this seems fine initially, and ah, uh, there's maybe some stuff I don't agree with, but like it's entertaining. I'm along for the ride. And then they repeat it. And again, and again, and again, and they target the same things. And the anger wraps up and the grievances ramp up. And after a certain point, the audiences can't tell fact from fiction. Right? Um, so anyway, <laughs> that, that's where my mind went when I saw all this Mark Miller news. And it's like, I don't even, the, the converse, if he just shared this on like, because like, it's like there are so many places that are able to have conversations without exclusively creating arenas of anger. You know what I mean? And, and I don't even care who they voted for. Like, I don't know how cartoonist kayfabe votes. <laughs> you know what I mean? All I know is all of their videos aren't, let's attack James Gunn, let's attack the Marvels, let's get in on these culture wars from a very specific lens and never deviate. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I'm curious, like, I'm, I don't know, another survey kind of thing for me here is like, am I making too big a deal of that? Do people even care? You know, like some of these channels have fans, obviously, that will get very angry. I mean, it's the sort of thing too where it's like I'm writing this newsletter and again, it's like, I'm not looking to like make waves here with a massive audience. But uh, it makes me nervous because these people are so angry all the time. And I talked about this. It's like to, to fight the rage machine, 
You have to be so angry yourself all the damn time. And I'm not that angry. My life's too good. You know, I'm not a good person for that. Um, But I see it and it's like, why is no one else addressing this? No one has called this out. The only site that actually had the balls to even say that the Miller quote came from thinking critical was CBR. Every other site skirted it. Every other site skirted it and was like, oh, as reported on CBR. So like, yeah, but where, was, where did this thing actually happen? We're just ignoring that? And to me, that it really normalizes, it really normalizes like Mark Miller going exclusively on right-wing rage bait channels. It makes it seem like that's like a reasonable thing for comic creators to do. And Mark Miller has tremendous influence. Whether he realizes it or not, I mean, good grief, this is one of the most successful comics creators of the last 23 years. I saw a good CBR uh, uh, clickbait headline that was, you know, Miller's the most influential creator of the 21st century. And I, it, I don't know that that's true, but it's, a, it's definitely an argument, you know? So if you see him going on these channels and supporting this stuff, then it's just like, it's, you know, I think that encourages other creators to feel like, oh, it's okay. Mark did it. And then that validates the rage bait machine and it doubles down and it gets stronger. And, you know, young men primarily get sucked into that vortex. You know, it's a much bigger issue than just comics. It's a much bigger issue than just this. But I, I'm kind of just like, I can't watch that and not say anything. You know, because it doesn't seem like anyone else is saying anything that I've seen. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> I'm seeing here, um, really, Rick, in the Super Chat, keep up the good work, my guy. Thank you so much, Rick. Really appreciate it. Let's see. Michael says, I want to find the diamonds in the rough, not focus on the rough. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, too, it is like, it is it is taxing. And I think, too, that that is part of what makes considering myself like a critic very difficult, you know, because when the environment of YouTube live streams and comics commentary is so heavily steeped in negativity, it does feel like this pendulum where you have to go one way or the other. You either have to be insanely positive all the time and constantly be saying, oh, I don't want to yuck anyone's yum and hemming and hawing and scared to death that you're going to ruin someone's fun or go the other way and be angry all the time. And it's like, that's not actually how my brain works. You know, some things I enjoy a lot. Some things I enjoy a little, <laughs> you know? And it's like, how about we talk about it in those terms? It's, it's genuinely difficult, I think. Um, it's very, very divided things. Uh, Banksy says, Mark Miller isn't even on my radar enough to know that he was on those channels. It, it's, again, it's not a thing I would have noticed or paid attention to. And I write in this newsletter piece, like I, it's weird. Like I spent a decade really very neutral and rarely thinking about Mark Miller. And then the last month, it was like all of a sudden he got a lot of attention. We're covering 2004 on My Marvelous Year. So we were reading Marvel Knight Spider-Man and uh, Wolverine Enemy of the State. Good Marvel comics, by the way. And, uh, and then I saw a lot of, you know, sites I respect talking about his idea to save comics, which again, in a vacuum, is not an uninteresting conversation. I mean, first off, his idea is literally 1996's Heroes Reborn. 
<laughs> which is, oh, let's get a bunch of big-name creators to do big runs at Marvel and DC. Like, the way he phrased it was, let's get the biggest names in comics to do Marvel and DC and, and do two-year runs and we can save the industry, which is, like, not an un- – like, listen, that's an interesting thing. Like, I could definitely get invested in talking about, like, well, who does he mean by that? Obviously himself, you know, <laughs> like nobody has a higher opinion of Miller than Miller. Um, and it's like, well, would that even be a good thing? But then it's like, well, who else are we talking about here? You know, that isn't involved with Marvel and DC. Listen, I could get into that, but then you look at where the conversation is happening and it's like, why is he giving them the time of day? You know? So like, like Miller himself did not do, like what he said, I have, is not like a problem. Okay. And I'm not on the cancel Mark Miller train here. Listen, I, <laughs> if Mark Miller couldn't cancel himself, I sure as hell can't. Dude wrote Nemesis. <laughs> dude wrote Kick-Ass. Like, like, I ha- like, like, dude wrote Big Dave. He's made every effort. He's fine. He's done great. Sold Miller World for like $50 million to Netflix. Has had all the success in the world. Okay? Um, <laughs> like, like, we're not gonna, we're gonna, not gonna shake that up here. Uh, so anyway. But just seeing where it's happening, it's like, dude, Mark. Like, and if it was balanced, I guess you could make more of an argument you know, if it was like, oh, he's on like, you know, three rage bait channels and like three, you know, like reasonable, like, like comparably sized, just normal interviews, <laughs> you know, you'd be like, oh, whatever. He'll give anyone a shot. That's his thing. Dude's out here stumping for RFK Jr. Like politically, we're not on the same page. <laughs> like, Okay, I'll move on. Um, I mean, he did do interviews. He has in the last year done interviews with other I would, what I would just call normal interviews that are not on these these channels that are, you know, wholly consumed by rage. Um, but they're, like, size-wise, they're comparably not, not nearly the level. And to me, that's that's sort of the imbalance here. Um, okay, so I appreciate all you in the comments for saying that you appreciate CBH and, and what I'm saying here. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to, yeah, I mean, I, I think it speaks to just kind of you know, it's, it's not a new problem. <laughs> I'm probably I'm probably not introducing you to online culture wars, but this definitely for me was like a moment of evaluating it through a very specific lens, and it's depressing. It's a little scary at times. It's infuriating, um, and it is just like I want I want for the comics community to be able to move away from that, you know? Um, That doesn't need to be a part of it. It doesn't need your attention. And if you're like, oh, it's harmless, and, you know, I enjoy talking about the comics, like, listen, you do you, but I'm telling you, it's not harmless. It's not. Like, people get sucked into that, and it warps perspective. And, uh, you know... It really twists minds, vulnerable minds a lot of times, too. Anyway, what's good? What is good? Let's do it. Birds of Prey number one. Birds of Prey number one is really good. <laughs> this is written by Kelly Thompson. we got art by Leonardo Romero and Jordi Belair. This first issue from DC came out this week. This is the same creative team that did a super underrated run on Hawkeye, but Kate Bishop. I think it was 16 issues circa 2016, 2017. It's one of my favorite Marvel comics from that time period. They're here on Birds of Prey. Great first issue. It looks fantastic. I love Romero's superhero work. It feels 
simultaneously old-fashioned but a bit timeless. You know, a lot of kinetic energy, I think, in action sequences, but just kind of reminds you of, like, picking up a book in 1987, which is not an experience I had, <laughs> but it still reminds me of that. And uh, it, it's such a nice book. It's got Big Barda, Cass Kane, Black Canary, Harley Quinn, an individual I can't even remember because they were new to me. Interesting lineup, mystery going on. I won't even spoil how it ends because more people should check out this book. Highly recommend Birds of Prey, number one. And then, actually, you know what? One more thing before I share the new additions to the CBH Best of 2023. Kaguya-sama, Love is War. It's a manga. It's written by Aka Akasaka. This book is so effing funny. I'm three volumes in to the manga. We've talked about it before on the My Marvel This Year podcast. Zach Dean introduced me to this one. But holy effing moly. This book is so good. It cracks me up. It is the funniest comic I think I've read in like the last decade. The the structure of the manga is you have two incredible students at this prestigious academy who like each other. (laughs) They, They have crushes, okay? They're in high school. And they do not want to be the first one to admit that they like the other one because the first one who admits it loses and it's just this constant over analytical thinking about all the minutiae of romance and and teenage angst and dating and it is hilarious i love it kaguya sama if you haven't read this and you like manga and you like comedy comics check this out <coughs> pardon me uh oh my google here says fantastic anime too zach has has highly recommended this anime to me as well uh, I'm hearing that. I, I I have not done the anime dive yet. Uh, really, the only anime dive that I've ever done is One Punch Man, which kind of... The problem I have is if I watch the anime, I can't really enjoy the manga. So I, I kind of have to pick one or the other, and obviously I just read stuff all the time, so I tend to align with the manga. Um, but I've, I've heard the anime is good, too. Okay. Let's see. What else do we have? Okay, let's do this. Let's do it. Additions to the best comics of 2023. And then I got to go deal with some, some sadly sick children. <laughs> Anis Nin, A Sea of Lies. This is a literary biography from Fantagraphics by, and I apologize for what I'm about to do to this name, Swiss cartoonist Leonie Bischoff. And I had never heard of this character uh, this character, <laughs> this writer, she is apparently one of the foremost erotic literature writers of the 1920s. She had ties and romance with Henry Miller, who wrote Tropic of Cancer, um, which was banned for quite some time for being, you know, too horny. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's the book that George Costanza had a copy of that was the illicit material, I think, in Seinfeld. I could be off on that, but I have, I have a vague memory of that. Um, this book is fascinating. Fascinating literary scene, fascinating characters, fascinating relationships as Nin explores her own sexuality, sometimes in like deeply like troubling ways. Like she has a relationship with her father at one point. It's like, what is happening? Um, but artistically, Bischoff is just incredible. Like flippin' incredible. Um, I've got just the one image up here, but that does not do it justice. If you like a little literary history, uh, if you're an English major like myself, like fantastic artwork, Check out Anis Nin, A Sea of Lies. World Tree. This one's probably more on your radar. James Tynion, Fernando Blanco, Jordi Belair, Arita Bideker. 
World Tree 33, or I guess just World Tree. Pretty good stuff. Pretty good stuff. I put it in a category. It's kind of a trilogy, which James Tynion's other most successful, you know, kind of horror conspiracy work, so The Department of Truth and The Nice House on the Lake. And what I'm looking at here, what you're seeing on the screen, this is the back end <laughs> of the best comics of 2023 on Comic Book Herald. Uh, if you go to, if you just search for best comics 2023, I'll, I'll probably rank below two sites that have worse lists than me, um, but you can find me <laughs> doing that. Uh, so World Tree is, is very literally about the dark side of the internet. And it's, it's so narrowly walking this line of, of being like about live streaming murders and the danger of the internet. And it could just all feel so like out of touch. Like, like there's a Mark Wade version of this book that you're just like, okay, old guy, <laughs> all the, all the love to Mark Wade for writing amazing comics, but like tiny and Blanco, like they kind of walked this line successfully. And, and it's, it's not as great again as the department of truth and I saw on the lake, but like it's close. Five issues are great. Um, Blanco's art is really, really stunning. They do this 12-panel grid throughout that I think they're trying to capture, like, what it feels like to have a split-screen experience constantly. I think that's what they're going for, or at least it made me think of that and feel that, and it's very successful. The artwork reminds me a lot of Mitch Jarrett's on Mr. Miracle as well. Um, big, big plot twist, cliffhanger stuff at the end of issue four and number five. Really good. Uh, highly recommend read the first five issues of World Tree. Tiny's always tricky because it's like, he writes a lot of good books all the time, and I kind of have to, you know, decide, like, okay, what are the ones that are really working for me, you know, at any given time? But it's like, most of the stuff's good, <laughs> you know? You can't go too wrong. Uh-oh, are you all seeing the back end here at YouTube Studio? If I click over to that, that doesn't work. Okay, and then my final selection is Swolmates. Every year, for two years now... <laughs> The first time was last year. I go on a Webtoon annual sojourn. And I say, man, Webtoon is the biggest flipping thing in comics. I had better click around and see what books resonate with me. This year, the book that stood out the most to me was Swolmates. It's a romantic comedy. It reminds me a lot of Kaiguya-sama, Love is War. It's very charming. It's funny. It's great to look at. If you like pinups of really ripped women, you're going to enjoy Swolmates as well. It's not just that, okay? There's more to it than that, but that's there too. That is there too. Also, like, yeah, it got me in on a pun. <coughs> Good pun. Good comic. I'm here for it. All right. I think I'm losing my voice. I think I'm losing it. We did a little extra time today. Uh, I'm going to look real quick if there's any fantastic uh, questions here. Otherwise... We're going to call it. But, yeah, all those comics can be found on the Best Comics 2023, except for, you know, some of the ones that I just referenced off the cuff there, uh, British Prey number 1, and what was the other one? <coughs> oh, Kaiguya Sama. Highly recommended. Okay. What do we got? A lot of fans of Kaiguya Sama. Appreciate that. Okay. I think we're going to do it. Thanks, everybody. I'm going to drink a ton of this water. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for supporting me every week. Uh, I will be here any week. The comics are good. I'm pulling it up right now. What is coming next week, and might we have a stream? Let's see. What do we got? 
You know, I do have a mute feature I could be using every time I cough. And I call that out just to say I am not. Uh, we got Venom number 25. I'm excited for that one. We got X-Force. <coughs> we got X-Men Red. Oh, I'm dying. Okay, I'll be here if I can still breathe. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the comics.